0: Don's fans, welcome to another episode of Don the Stat. Tonight I'm joined as always by my co-host Ian Hume, but we also have the pleasure of being joined by a special guest to talk all about Essen preseason 2023. Some of you will know him as a writer and published author, some of you will know him as Bomber Rico on Twitter. Rick Edwards, welcome to Don the Stat.
1: Yeah, thanks uh, Jono, thanks uh, Ian. It's a real uh, pleasure to, to join you guys uh, today.
0: No, it's a real pleasure to have you. We're we're really grateful. Um, Mate, tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about your origins of being a Bomber supporter.
1: Yeah, so um, I was a journalist for um, an editor for about 30 years. So journalism was was what paid the bills. So uh, I did mostly general news, but I did a little bit of sport. And um, in the 90s, I was fortunate enough to be asked by my editor if I wanted to um, cover Essendon on, on the weekend. And, uh, of course, I said yes. So um, probably for about six seasons, I would go to a game and then um, go to the the press conference afterwards and um, uh, ask, uh, get a few questions in there, ask uh, Sheed some some hard questions. Um, So so that was a lot of fun. Uh, So um, my journalism career ended about the same time um, that I decided to to write a book, uh, and, and the book was about the supplement saga, but not not another Chip LeGrand book. It was more a book about what sort of impact uh, that the whole saga was was having on supporters.
0: Nice. No, and were you were you a Bombers fan before you started um, writing and doing match reports? Did, that, did yeah. that come first?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was. So so I grew up uh, in a Bomber family. Uh, I, I went to I actually um. We we had um, although I was about ten minutes walk from Windy Hill, we um, we had the Bombers pre season training venue, Cross Keys Oval, literally across the road. It was a Jake stringer yeah. barrel uh, from my house, so I would get over and have a look at a bit of the, the pre season stuff uh, as I'm doing now. Um, but I didn't get to my first game until about 1979, so I was about nine or something like that. And um, it was at Windy Hill, and my brother, who was 16 and six foot five, he was a, a fast bowler uh, known for taking hat tricks in um, in the local church's comp. He um, he lifted me um, up over the the adjacent bowls club cement fence uh, into to Windy Hill, so I didn't have to pay. Who would know, though, that some 40 years later, the Bowls Club would um, would stand firm against the, the footy club and um, get a bit of revenge on, on supporters like me?
0: Yeah, it's gone full circle. Um, uh, people who aren't familiar with the probably area uh, but are familiar with Underbelly will know Cross Keys is the place where Jason Moran was murdered, of course, all those years ago during, uh, during Auskick. Uh, uh, so over your years following, the there some players or some moments that, that really stand out?
1: Yeah, I, I guess in terms of moments, the, the, the euphoria of the 84 and 85 grand finals, you know, I was only a young fella, but, you know, I was fortunate to be at, at both games. Uh, Tim Watson was was my favourite. I, I just didn't think there was anyone um, that played forty that had the same explosiveness as, as him. He, he could just sort of burn through the, the centre of Windy Hill and no one could stop him. I remember the, the 1985 celebration party at Windy Hill the day after the grand final and um people it was just full of you know of, of diehards and um it was a, just a fantastic vibe and people were singing timmy watson walks on water tra-la-la-la I'll never forget that probably though um after 85 my first i suppose football related heartbreak occurred when um I, I was at vfl park i think that's what it was called then um for the elimination final and um in the dying stages, watched uh, Mickey Conlon find a bit of space out the back and uh, <laughs> and uh, keep the goal, and then the rest is uh, history.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I it's the that's the first game I remember being at. It's not the first one I went to, but it, it's the first one I remember. And I don't really remember the game. I just remember how I felt having lost afterwards. Uh, yeah, I certainly had an impact. I was, I think I was four or five at the time. So, uh, yeah, remember that one. Well, uh, you you mentioned the, the book that you published on, on the saga, it's now 10 years on since the saga itself and about six years since that book was published when you, you know, we're obviously not going to dwell too much on, on the past here, but, uh, how do you look back on that time? And, and do you think we're, we're moving closer to a, a period of the club where we've moved past that, or do you think that still lingers over the organisation and the fans?
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, firstly, I can't make any reference to the book without without sort of thanking um, the people who participated in the book because without them, you know, we wouldn't have been able to, to sort of sort of tell compelling stories. Um, they, um, these supporters, desperately you wanted to taste success after after the saga, as as I did, and as probably you guys did, but. I think there's just been a series of, of missteps or, you know, just plain old bad decisions since then. And um, that's that's hampered our ability to, to move on. You know, you, you look at the, the Rutten era, that, that was a real waste from the time he started to the time he, he finished. I, I don't think we've improved. Uh, we, we lost players um, that were key to any sort of success. Danaher and Saad, you know, a couple of All-Australians, Kenner, Fantasia, two of the most gifted players on the list. Um, we also post a saga, haven't found any, any any new champions, haven't brought any kids on that are, are, are champions or, or close to champions. You know, we had McGrath as an early draft pick. You know, he hasn't reached that sort of um, – he's not that calibre yet. Um, our 2020 picks were 8, 9, and 10, and those guys, you know, haven't reached great heights yet. They've, they've shown some promise. Hobbs, is, it's a bit too early, and, and Sardis is obviously um, too early. But, you know, I remember Peter Jackson, our former CEO. Of course, he went to Melbourne and at the, the 2015 Melbourne AGM, he put it pretty simply. He said, Young talent on its own is not enough. And, you know, he went on to say that um, they need to be coached and developed to become very good AFL players. So what Melbourne did was spend a lot of money on development coaches like Brendan uh, McCarthy and, and put a lot of resources into the KCVFL program um, and, of course, all that paid dividends um, with a flag, you know, a few years later. So, you know, I think there's been a series of, of mistakes um, since the, the saga
0: yeah, it certainly feels that way. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what uh, Zach Merritt might look like in a in a better side if we're fortunate enough to develop a list around him because I think he, he could be one that might finish his career as a champion. Uh, sort of looking to, to more present, uh, you're one that was, you know, really vocal and, and rightly so in, in campaigning for better facilities at the hangar for those fans that do make it out to training. It, it seems like there is some movement at the station in that regard, but... Um, it doesn't look like there's been any, you know, no holes have been dug yet, so to speak. Uh, have you heard any update in that regard? And I guess in a more general sense, how are you feeling about the new direction of the club?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, th- there has been a bit of a campaign to improve um, support facilities. I mean, the club acknowledge it themselves but uh, a while back, but, you know, nothing really happens unless people make a noise about it. So me and some others have, have done that. Um you know, just because um, you know, I think it's ten years, and there hasn't been anything done there. There's nothing in terms of um, watching forty watching games or watching training there. You know, it gets quite hot, obviously, um, during a Melbourne summer, and it can get quite cold as well. So you're just not protected from the element from the elements. So, you know, I wanted it not so much for myself because I actually like to move around and and, and watch um, training from from different angles, but. You know, there are some people, Gwenda um, Muller, uh who, who I wrote about in the book. You know, she she had a a, a bad disc in a, in her back, and she also had osteoarthritis in a, in her back. So, for some people, you know, it's just that they need to be able to sit down. So, hopefully, um, that that happens. Um, but um, yeah. So this this preseason, you know, I think I think one of the things about this preseason that there's been a lot more uh, people come along to to watch and. Uh, I guess there's uh, a little bit of optimism there, but um you know i'm uh, I'm a little bit guarded in in terms of how I think we're going to go.
0: yeah, once bitten twice shy I guess. Um, what are the the noticeable difference that differences that you've seen this preseason under Ben Rutten compared to well, sorry under Brad Scott, I should say compared to the couple of years under Ben Rutten
1: yeah, look, look i'm I'm not going to um. Uh, I can't really offer much here because you know I'm just a layman. I'm, I'm not a you know a football analyst as such. And um, to, to my to my eye, they they trained really hard. For example, last year under Rutten, you know they they were doing a lot of, of running. Um, so it, it's a bit hard, I think, to to pick apart what what the differences are. But certainly, a couple of things. Um, there, there is a an emphasis on on goal kicking. And it's not like in the old days where players would just do that at the end of the session. So what, what's happening is um, they'll do a drill and then they'll do goal kicking and then they'll do another drill and then they'll do goal kicking. So that's a real feature of it. There is a lot of running again. Um, this year, as I said, it's hard to say. I don't think anyone can really say whether they're, they're fitter this year than last year unless they see some of the data from the from the high-performance team. Um the other thing is is feedback from assistant coaches. You know, we've gone from two point five to five point five assistant coaches, and and you just see uh, the difference it makes. So, you know, your Michael Hurley's and Travis Cloaks, etc. They're they're pulling buys aside, um, you know, after drills or, or even stopping drills, and and, and just sort of uh, not only telling them but but also showing them, so they'll you know they'll. Um, well, um, you know, manoeuvre their body the way they want the player to manoeuvre their body uh, in in the contest.
0: Yeah, that, that's good to hear. I, I guess that's one of the the benefits of having some guys like Hurley and Cloak and the like that are relatively recent out of football. Hurley's obviously only a year out. That um, they yeah they've stepped straight out of the game and still relatively young and fit and can get around the track with the with some of the guys. How's that level of feedback received in a, in a general sense? Can you can you tell from the sidelines, whether it's something that the players are really lapping up, or or does it seem to be taking a little bit of time to to embed itself into our DNA?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Yeah, I think you know it's it's been really well received. And how do you tell that? Well, the, the talk from the players, I, I haven't seen the, the talk at the level it is this this preseason. So, and it's not just the experienced players, you know, it's all, all players. And um, you know, so um, they, they talk amongst themselves about what they can do better. Uh, and and they're very vocal um, with if something um, if if someone was in the right position then they're really vocal about that. So um, you know I, I feel that the players are, are buying in. Uh, whether that translates to a good season that's another thing. But but they're certainly buying in, I think.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear. And um, I know you mentioned that obviously uh, uh, you know you're a bit more of a layman. I think you sell yourself a little bit short there. Uh, you know, observing and. and- um, communicating with you over the last couple of years. I think you've got a, a good fit sense for, for the game. Uh, but has there been anything discernible, you know, at a real basic level, I guess, on, in terms of how we might play or game plan or or, um, or whatnot um, in 2023? Or, or is your perception that we're very much following on the basics
1: yeah, I think, you know, this is just not, not for me, but, you know, I think it's been reported somewhere that, you know, that they are introducing bits of the game plan slowly, but, but surely. Uh, in terms of what I've seen with my own eyes, it is a focus on, 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 defense, you know, so a lot of the drills will be in a 50 meter, uh, area where they have to move the ball, uh, from one end to, to the other end. Uh, and the, the notable thing to me is that they're trying to move it really quickly. So um, a lot quicker than than we we normally move it on the MCG or, or Marvel or, or wherever.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly got ourselves into a lot of trouble last year. Didn't know really with that slow uh, sort of play from halfback. It was almost like we were too scared to give the ball up, and and we got ourselves into a hole. So hopefully that's something that we're we're trying to to get out of the system as we move forward.
2: Hey Rick, Ian here. Sorry for missing the first fifteen minutes. I had to resettle a, a five month old. So another question a question we've got from listeners when we when we asked it said you were going to be on the show uh, this one came from Silvertop Hurley it was asking about the role of the other assistant coaches so not only do we still have Gia and Cara from previous years but there's been a lot of additions uh, people have moved into different roles uh, are there any that stand out as being especially prominent in their interactions with the players
1: Yeah I, you know I I think it's a bit hard I'm I'm only there sort of two sessions a week so I would you know just say listeners no I don't see everything um so I'm not, not sort of claiming to to see everything but um I've certainly noticed for example Travis glow you know he seems to have a you know um, spent a lot of time with with the tools and um you know building relationships and he, and he also uh which is a little bit unique he also actually runs a lot so he does laps um with, with some of them so um, I think he's he's building. He's only been at the hangar a short time, but he's building some really good relationships.
0: That's good to hear. Uh, I think uh, some fans had a, a a little bit of difficulty getting their head around a cloak being at Essendon, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like he's having an impact already. And and even some of the photos and videos that you shared, you can see that uh, you know eye contact is always a good gauge, and you can see that when he's talking to players, that they're making a, a direct contact with him. Um, let's talk about. Mate, who stands out to you at training, particularly those that that um, you know might we might not naturally expect? Is there anyone that's really caught your eye?
1: Yeah, there's three um, that I really have at the top of my list, and, and then I have a few others underneath that. Um, but the top three for me is Sheil, uh, Redman, and, and Draper. So with uh, Sheil, I sort of get the feeling that he, he's got something to prove. You know, as everyone knows, he he sort of had a, a season of two halves. Um, so he was a bit inconsistent um, and ineffective uh, in the first half of the year. I think, I don't know, there seems to be a bit of a fire inside him and um, he's been great in, in terms of stoppages, centre clearances, which, you know, as you guys know, he's always been good at. But he's um, he's been very clean as well in, in the contested work in the match sim. So he's very clean with his kicking, very clean with his handballs and not all the players uh have been um you know and that's i guess one of my concerns that I'm happy to talk about later but um, he's been super clean and getting a lot of the ball uh redmond uh has just been impenetrable uh at, at halfback whenever he wants to win the contest he does and it doesn't matter who he's playing on whether it's a, a younger guy or an older guy um so he's just super confident at the moment and he is probably the one player that stands out in terms of uh, talking more being with more vocal uh, than, than before and the other one is Draper, and, and Draper, you know, once again, he's um, he's it's just dominant, you know, like he he just takes um, so many pack marks and, and contested marks, and you know, he's um, he's he's winning the ball from 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 the centre at, at ease, and, and sometimes taps it to himself. And I think you know, Draper, Draper's ascendancy, you know, his continued improvement is related to Shield because if Draper gets better this year, which I think he will, um, then that's going to help Shield. Uh, yeah, it's a
0: good – yeah, really good point. Those two could be a really powerful uh, tag team or tandem, couldn't they, in the middle? Yeah. yeah. Two really dynamic and athletic players in your centre bounce. It's a, it's a bit of a luxury if we get it right
1: yeah you're right you're right it is a bit of a bit of a weapon for us in terms of other players i don't know how much detail you want me to go into but um other players um uh martin mcgrath have both been good mcgrath's just super composed off half back um Zurich thatcher uh has been really interesting he um you know he uh i remember there was a, a match sim where uh he and mcgrath were both going for the same ball a high ball and um you know, they, they, there was a lack of communication or whatever, but they both, you know, showed a bit of courage and they both they ran into each other. And it was quite a heavy collision, uh, more so for, for Zerk Thatcher. And he was really sore. Like, I thought, you know, he's uh, he's done something quite bad here and um he'll have to be carried off probably. Uh, a couple of minutes later, he was up on his feet. Uh, he finished the match, in which went for another five minutes. And then he joined the other players as they, they did some laps for, you know, five or 10 minutes. So... He's just made of really, really strong stuff, and um, I, I sort of thinking about Brad Scott. I, I think Zerk is sort of in the same vein as as blokes that that Scott used to love and used to back in blokes like uh, Ferrito and 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 Scott Thompson. So um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Scott um, back Zerk Thatcher in. Oh, I
0: was just going to say it's a good comparison. There's a there is a bit of Scott Thompson about Zerk Thatcher, I think, just in stature and. Um... And they're kind of that rubbery, wiry frame, aren't they? But they put themselves where they need to be. Yeah,
1: they're both, they both—they put themselves where they need to be. They're both pretty tenacious and, and pretty—you um, know, Scott Thompson. I didn't like him. Let's let's not uh, beat around the bush here. Who, who did like him? Um, but he was—you know—he did put himself in in positions where he could get hurt. And I think Seth Thatcher's pretty brave. Uh, a couple of other players that, um, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed. Uh, I have to mention Waller. You know, Waller's been really good, I, I feel. You know, he, um, he's just been getting a lot of the ball. And the thing about him is when he gets it, he just, you know, he, he just puts it on a plate. You know, he, um, his disposal is great. Um, I, I talked to um, Zach Merritt uh, during well, early in pre-season, and he was talking about Waller being the – He described him as the best uh, kick of the football that, that he's seen in, in his career – um, the other one which uh, has really come on a little bit in, in preseason, and, and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen when the games start, but Patrick Voss uh, has been really good and I think uh, people just see him as this sort of, you know, rugged potential enforcer that likes to tackle and bury blokes. Um, but he's actually more than that. That's sort of selling him a bit short. He's very good on the lead and I saw this in the VFL as well last year, you know, and um, he's very good on the lead. His leading patterns are good, and he's very good uh, when the ball hits the ground, and he's a really safe uh, kick from, for goal, from you know, from even from tight uh, angles. He's got such a basic uh, kicking style,
0: really uh, goal-kicking style, that is, it really uh, lends itself to, to being able to convert at a really high rate. He's probably going to be one of those players, at least as a forward, that might only get... 10 or 12 touches a game, but probably really hurt the opposition when he does. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see how he might develop. On on the flip side, are there any, you know, not asking you to pot anyone here and, and putting aside some of the guys that have had injury concerns, but is there anyone who maybe you thought might we might have been seeing a little bit more of than what we are at the moment?
1: Oh, yeah that, that's, a, that's a really good question yeah um yeah I am I' reluctant to to probably talk too much about guys that, that haven't done much but um you know I guess I was I was hoping for, for a bit more from from Perkins um you know uh I, I don't know whether that's because they haven't been playing in the midfield but I'm a big rat for him um as, as I think you guys are as well uh, as as a midfielder um so maybe it's like lack like of opportunity there. Um, and um, yeah, he, he's probably just just one, but um, uh, you know, Jones is obviously he hasn't sort of been able to have an uninterrupted preseason, so you know, it's a bit hard to to be critical of him. Well, I guess just
2: just building on that, what sort of we probably probably a lot of people have heard of potential injury concerns from players. We obviously got the good news that Peter Wright's calf was not as bad as it was originally reported. I think. Uh, when you heard the original reports come out, he was his leg was 50-50 to be amputated, uh, but, you know, he's, it sounds like he's going to be back at training next week. Any others that really, other than, you know, the obvious of, of say, a Jaden Davey that's on the long-term injury list that really has been really restricted and, and hasn't had much of an opportunity?
1: Yeah, just on right. I, I said that he had a hamstring as well a few weeks ago, and I, I was wrong there, so... Um... You do, you do get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think um, you sort of covered them. Stuart, I, I get the feeling he's really, really struggling um, to get over his concern. I think um, you guys might be able to help me. I think it might be a, a groin-type issue. Um, so he's struggling to um, run at, you know, sort of a higher pace. And as you, as everyone knows, you know, with with that sort of injury, you need to be able to um, really stretch out. Um, that's the test. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jaden Davey you, you're right. Um and, and sort of Mankara is um you know, is is a long way back. And um I, I'm not saying there are any concerns at all that there's not from from what I'm hearing. But um he's just on a, a really slow uh, build.
2: Yeah, I think when they drafted Mankara they were they were pretty clear that he was a, a long term prospect and they weren't expecting much from this year. It's more about just getting him down here and experiencing a football culture and and the standards and getting used to that before Expecting much from him as, as a player, which I think would serve someone his background quite well. You know, sort of slowly bringing them in rather than saying he he go dive in. You know, sink or swim, mate. It's about bring bringing him in through a, a better environment. And we know that they've made a big uh, commitment to improving the indigenous program. And you know, if if that that's successful, then a player might, like Mankara should be able to reach his potential within that. It's Just sort of moving. On one of the big questions is about leadership and what the potential is for captaincy going forward. Just in general, are there any players that seem to be taking on a more vocal and leadership role from previous years? This is a question that came from Robert Sampamon on Twitter.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, thanks to Robin and all the other ones um, that submitted submitted questions. Um, yeah. I think uh, certainly certainly Redmond, as I mentioned earlier, is. He's extremely vocal. It's a bit hard to say. Is he more vocal than last year? I wasn't sort of watching out for that, but he certainly is, um, very vocal and he's been sort of like the general of the, of the back line a lot, a lot of the time this preseason. And, um, you know, I even remember, um, the young Ruckman that they've got trialling, um, at the moment, Hudson O'Keefe, I think just off the top of my head. Um, so they pushed him down back um, last week um, to play fullback just, just for a little bit. He was opposed to, to Jake Stringer. So, you know, immediately Redman, Redman was just sort of, you know, saying to him, um, just just don't give him his space, you know, don't don't give him his space to, to, to do his thing. So um, he's been a real general um, down um, in the back line. Um, whether he's, you know, ready for captaincy, you know, I have my own views on that, but um, he's certainly been... A bit of the general uh,
2: this preseason. Yeah, and I guess specifically, Robert did ask about Merritt. and if you you think about Essendon captaincy op- options post Heppel, you know it, it's been Merritt Merit and McGrath have been those top two, and I, I think there's also been suggestions that maybe Heppel stays on for a year just to allow another captaincy option to develop. Particularly about about those three, uh, how have they been this preseason in terms of a leadership aspect on the training track?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be that that vocal on, on the track and certainly Merritt doesn't either and people have been saying, well, you know, Zach's not vocal on the, on the training track so, you know, I'm not sure whether he can be captain and, and, and I sort of um, disagree with that, you know, how much, how vocal they are on the, the track is just a really small part of, of, of whether they can be a good captain or, or not, you know, and um some players and i think particularly with in terms of merit you know he might he might be seen as a bit of an introvert you know at some stage uh, you know of his career um i think what what he would bring to the captaincy is sort of um you know follow me type uh, do it by example leadership you know so as we all know when he's on he he's a you know he sets the time for us he you know he sets up a lot of our attacking and defensively he can really nail bikes with, with, with tackles so I think, you know, he, he has a lot of elements that he could bring to the job and, and leading by example is, is one thing. And he's also, um, you know, an extremely talented, uh, sorry, extremely, you know, switched on sort of football person. Like when you hear him talk, um, you know, he, he really knows his stuff and, um, he speaks well, he speaks clearly. And, and, you know, I, I, um, I certainly, um, don't buy into the fact. And buy into the narrative that just because he doesn't, you know, yell a lot on the training track, that he that he wouldn't be a good captain.
0: Yeah, I don't remember. Not that I want to make a direct comparison by stretch but I don't remember Hurdy ever being all that vocal on the training track. He's a good example of someone who led by example. Granted, very different player, and and one of the all-time greats. So, yeah, yeah. not comparing it to two. But the thing that that you do get with Zach is is high standard of consistent yeah. performance, don't you? Like three. Uh, yeah. three best and fairest wins, Crichton medals and a runner-up in, you know, he's only 26, might not have even turned 26 yet. So you know what you're going to get. And um, and I agree with you. He strikes me as someone just through watching him that that knows the game and understands the game very well and, and is a good teacher of the game of, of others. So,
1: yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually had the hurt. Um, I had the hurt in my in my head as well. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you, with you on that one. Yeah. So
2: I guess let's go to another listener question. This one's from Lawrence Brown. Is there any players that are looking at switching positions or training to play in multiple positions? And then we had Jr. who specifically asked about Nick Cox. So they're sort of similar questions. Uh,
1: yeah. There hasn't. You know, I think one of the one of the trade months of the Rotten era was. You know, his. Um, desire to try players in different positions. You know, he sent Stewart back. He sent Laverty back. He sent Heppel back. Um, so I haven't we haven't sort of seen that as much. You know, uh, Nick Cox started to play a little bit uh, at at half back. Um, but you know, and, and Heppel has played a little bit on the wing, and I guess McGrath at half back. So perhaps there's a little bit of that. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's still pretty early on, you know, obviously we haven't had any, any sort of games against other teams uh, yet.
2: Yeah. And I yeah. guess we'll have to wait for that to see what, where they consider playing some of those certain positions, particularly, yeah. obviously, obviously Cox, you know, we're, Jono and yeah. I have both been strong that he, we should at least be trying him on the wing for a little bit to see how that works out. Cause he could be in a, a massive point of difference. Although Jono does like to indulge his inner Robert Walls and, and <laughs> want to chuck Cox into the ruck. If you yeah. listen to enough of the back episodes, yeah. uh, mainly yeah. because mainly because if you look at the history of, of players, it's not the hardest thing to, Go to be a backman in, later in your career and do well you know you've got players like yeah. liam jones uh we've just seen patty mccart what patty McCartan's done for sydney there's a lot of other examples where yeah. where players have started in one position and have been able to yeah. do quite well at defense but yeah let-
1: yeah I just 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 on clocks and um perhaps trying to um, answer the question a little bit yeah i i, I um, I think, I think you're right. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. Setting someone to the back line is sort of last resort for, for a lot of players, as, as you might have said. And I wouldn't mind seeing Cox, uh, have a go. He's a more skillful player than a lot of players. And I think, you know, he, his talents could be used in, in the forward line as a sort of lead up forward, I, I think. And, um, you know, he could lead up to the wing and then, and then get back, uh, possibly quicker than his um, than his opponent. Yeah, he's, he's probably a victim of, of
2: being too flexible, I guess, in that sense. You, you sort of get an idea of where, what he could be. And that may affect his ability to, to settle down in a place. But as you say, he's a supremely talented player. And if we get the best out of him, we'll be in a really good position. Let's, let's start talking about something that you told me that you're quite. Passionate about and enjoy doing. And that, that's paying close attention to the the new draftees and, and the new players. Now, this was the question brought up by Bruce Hurst and Vince Taskunis, uh asking about the new players on the list and how you think they've adjusted to the Essendon environment. So, we're, we're going to talk about the the two trade in players and then some of the draft picks. You already have brought up uh, Jaden and Anthony, Jaden Davey and Anthony Amankara, but we'll, we'll just sort of go through and you just have a quick comment on each of them. We'll start yeah. with Will Setterfield.
1: Yeah, Settlefield has, has had his um, opportunities in in the middle, uh, as as we sort of expect, and you know he ha- he has shown that that ability to, um, to to uh, get the um that, to win the hard ball and and to sort of feed it out. So so he's been doing that pretty well. I haven't seen a lot of you know him collecting sort of possessions on the outside, but certainly on the inside, he's been a little bit hard to to tackle and and bring down. And I guess that's uh, what we were hoping he would bring.
2: I guess just before we move on to the next, do you if, if you were doing a best 22, would you be finding a spot for him or do you think he's still on the cusp?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I'm not sure he's in the best 22 yet. Uh, I, you know, I, I think with a lot of these questions, you, you really have to wait to, to see them uh, in action against the other sides. And, um, yeah, so I, I think I'd probably uh, wait to pass judgment on that one. Yeah, fair call. Uh, the other trade in was Sam Wiederman,
2: uh from Melbourne. How have you found him so far?
1: Yeah, I, David King actually gave him a bit of a, a bake, didn't he um, on, on SCN? Um, I, I haven't. My view is I, I haven't seen him do that that much, uh, you know, in match sim. I haven't. He's, he's taken a couple of, of nice uh, contested marks, but but he hasn't done uh, that much. But having said that, you know, I've, I've heard that the, the club is is really happy with him, and he, and he hasn't put a, a foot wrong
2: let I, I, I was just—I was actually just wondering: Were you? Have you? Did you see Peter Wright's first preseason and making a comparison between those?
1: Um. So yeah, Wright. I was pretty um buoyant on, on Wright from from pretty early on, and maybe put out a couple of stupid tweets about how you know he'll be a good replacement for Danaher, but maybe in time that they, they haven't aged that well. But yeah, you know, Wright was—I thought. He was good, um, pretty early on, just just that threat. And as as we all know, he sort of got got better at his craft, hasn't he, since he's been there? I think you, I think history proven you correct, so far on on Wright actually
2: being being a good get, especially for what we picked for him. And I guess a lot of people have been comparing Sam to to Peter, what they were like at the start of their journey at Essendon, and if even even if Sam can get half as good as Peter Wright's been, I think we'll have a serviceable player there. Well, let's move on to the draft picks, and obviously uh, Elijah Sardis. Obviously, there's obviously the disappointment that he's suffered that injury, and we probably won't see him early in the season. How have you found him up to the point that he got injured?
1: Yeah, yeah, super, super impressed with, with Sardis. Uh, his he's work ethic. You know, he just runs and, and runs. So his trademark is to you know to get the ball and then um, handball it off, and then keep running and get it back. So he's sort of that that meters gained sort of footballer that that we really need. Um, He's really clean and he's really uh, low to the ground, you know, so he reminds me a little bit of of Lockie Neal. He's just sort of always sort of really low to to the ground and just such a smooth um, uh, mover and and he's got wheels. Like he he can really, you know, accelerate out of the contest. So I was really buoyant on him, um, you know, perhaps being a good chance for round one before, uh, unfortunately, he hurt his knee. Yeah, well, we're, we're all
2: just hoping that it's not a hugely long-term injury and he, he can get back into training and, and potentially push for those uh, first-team selection, you know, mid, mid-season maybe and, and moving on from there and having a, a strong finish to 2023. Uh, moving on to the number 25 draft pick, Lewis Hayes. I think there was a few people that were surprised that Essendon selected him when they did. What were your, what are your impressions of how he's been so far?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know he's, he's sort of skinny, and and you, you you may have thought, well, you know they're not going to throw him in a deep end, um, you know they're just going to take him really slowly, take you know, build him up slowly, but that's that's not been the case. He's been playing uh, on on all the all the the talls, all the tall forwards, so um, he's had to match up on, on Wright and Wiedemann and, and Jones and Stringer and all, all of them, and you know he's 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 held his own. He's shown. A lot of poise. He doesn't get flustered. Very calm, good decision maker. The other thing about him is he's he's really courageous. So he's he's gone back uh, with the ball, not knowing what's coming behind a couple of times. And uh, you know, it's only a little thing, but you know that that that's really uh, impressed me. Well, that's that's what you
2: want to hear from a defender. Someone's willing to put their their body on the line there. Let's move on to our first father-son,
1: which is Alwyn Davy Junior. How have you found his preseason? Yeah, look, I'm big on on Alwyn. You know, he's been great. You know, he, um, you know, I saw a bit of him last year as well. You know, he uh, in that he played one game in the VFL for us last year, so I watched him closely that day at the ground. Um, so he's really good. He he, um, he, he leads well, uh, repeat leads. You know, good leading patterns, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and he, he's very clean, you know, not below his knees. Um, and, you know, he um, he gets in dangerous spots. He's obviously fast, you know, like he was, I think he was recorded as the fastest kid in, at TAC level uh, last year. So he, he reminds me of, of uh, Waller, you know, and I think, you know, Waller in his third game ended up with, with eight tackles or something like that, his third AFL game. And I think that's the type of player Davey is, so... He'll he'll work hard all day and he'll tackle guys. He he's just got that that real desire to to hunt the opposition player. Yeah, I think that's like I think if
2: you also think back to to his dad, obviously, and there's the comparisons there. But I think people forget that he wasn't Alan Senior wasn't just a small forward when he came into the Essendon side. That first half of his first season, he was all the way up you know, up the ground tackling and and putting pressure on that way. It was sort of after his, after his injury that he got in 2007 that he, that he sort of moved back more as that permanent forward. So I know that a lot of people say that Jaden is the is the Alwyn clone, but I think if you think about Alwyn's early career, Alwyn Davey Jr. sort of matches up well there. But speaking of Jaden, obviously on the long-term injury list, I, I can't imagine you've seen him doing too much. How does he seem around the club knowing that he's he's coming from a long way back with that injury?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I haven't seen him, um, play I did see him do matches, him, um, though with, with, uh, the bombers 12 months ago. And, um, he, he got out the back uh, a lot of, a lot of times. Um, and, and he's got real wheels. So he, he just, um, run into space and, and, and kick the goal. So he's, he's quite dangerous. But what I'm, I'm, I'm told about him reliably is that, um, he's, he's a really hard worker. Um, that that he wants it re- really badly so so um you know that that sort of gives me confidence that uh he is going to make it and he's certainly in terms of what he's doing on the track he, he's just running an unbelievable amount of, of laps uh at the moment so um yeah apparently he's from what i've been told he's got a, an enormous uh work ethic so that that's good Ex- that's excellent news to hear. You've obviously got
2: to put in a lot of work coming from where he is. And if he's doing that, that game, that's one of those signs that someone is going to give themselves the best chance for success. Now, one of the big surprises was the selection of Rhett Montgomery in the rookie draft. Again, okay, I guess with, with the rookie draft, it's a bit of potluck for most teams where they end up selecting players. How have you found him
1: since he's been at the club? Yeah, um, John, John and I reckon, you know, he's, there's a bit of Kyle Hardingham about him. You know, he's only sort of 191 or something like that. So he's a little bit taller than, than Kyle, but he's got a real spring um, to him. So he can really fly for, for marks and, and spoils. And he's really courageous in the air. You know, I talked about Hayes being courageous uh, under the high ball. Well, Montgomery is, is as well. And he's been crunched a couple of times really badly because, you know, he just flies. And guys come from behind, but you know, he, um, he's desperate in the contest. So he, he, you know, will, um, will invariably get the, the fist to a ball, which you might not think he'd be able to, 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 to uh, you know, to affect a constant contest that you, you don't think he's going to be able to. So he's got that real desperation a, about him. Uh, in terms of his skills, he, he's a pretty safe sort of kick. Um, and you know, he, he floated forward, um, Always moved forward. I can't be certain uh, in one of the match sims and kicked pretty straight. Kicked a couple of goals, so he's got something about him. I think I, I quite like him. He's um, you know, he plays sort of tall, and you know, he can also play on, on on the smalls as well. It could be another one of
2: those, you know, Michael Hibbard and as you said, Kyle Hardingham and Mark Bagley types that you you get when you're not expecting and, and come in to be a really serviceable player. I guess finally the, the last player that was picked up. Was Anthony I've Obviously, talked a little bit about him so far tonight. Has there any any signs with him in terms of his skill that you've noticed, or again, is it just he's just doing a lot of work to try and get his fitness up?
1: Yeah, he's put on a show a few times there at, at the hangar uh, for for the people that have come along. You no, know, when he kicks for goal, he kicks uh, just as accurate on his left and his right. Like it's just the same; you can't distinguish them, which, which is just you know. I'm not sure I've seen that before. Well, Waller does a bit of that as well, but um, and, and actually, Adrian Dodora I think has is, is described him um, as as a, as a taller Waller. Um, so that, that's what we've got to, to look forward to. Eh?
0: Well, given we ran Waller around at centre half forward, seemingly at times, that might be handy if we keep playing that way. Um, that hopefully <laughs> we we get to see him win a bit more ball at ground level. Um, <laughs> It seems mate, we're we're down to two. The the latest report today, uh, for that last position, for the um on the list. If we do uh, use that SPP spot, and it's it's out of Mitch Zabowski, uh, I'm sure I didn't pronounce that correctly. Who's a, a 186 centimeter, 86 kilogram big body midfielder from Danielong Stingrays, and Hudson O'Keefe, okay a really athletic 200 plus centimeter ruckman from the Oakley Chargers. Have you had much of a look at those guys and, and what do you make of them?
1: Yeah, look, I, to be honest, I, I haven't, you know, looked, looked at them that close to That They both move pretty well. The, the big ruckman covers the ground really well. Um, and and Mitch, um, you know, puts himself in, in, in the thick of it and, you know, is, is pretty composed. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not too sure, you know. I just, just hope that both those uh, young fellas uh, get their opportunity, if, if not now, then um, some other time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess there's a chance that they don't
2: even use that selection and just wait to the mid-season draft where we know that they've had some pretty good success in the past.
1: Yeah, that, well, that's that's actually a really good point, yeah.
2: All right, well, look, we've got the last of our audience questions, and this one's from Gail Taylor. Uh, the skills. So one of the constant concerns that Essendon fans have had is about the skill level of the players, particularly heading inside forward 50. How do they seem... At to, to this stage of the year, and if you think about all your experience in the last few years watching training, how do they compare to other times uh, at this stage in the past few years?
1: Yeah, it sort of worries me, that the school level, uh, to to be frank, and I can be frank on, on this show. Uh, yeah, it does worry me. I I, I don't think uh, – I haven't been to watch Melbourne or, or Richmond or Geelong or anything, but I just, I just don't think they're as clean as they need to be, and um, hence, you know, I'm not sure that, you know – we're going to be a top four side or anything like that. They're just not as clean with their kicking, especially, uh, and their handballing, especially when when the heat is on. So, when it's all very well in, in drills and stuff to to look polished, but when the heat's on in match team, you know, to my eye, you know, they're they're not probably at the standard that they need to be, in. and maybe you know they're building towards that, but um, you know, there's this kicks that just don't find their target and, and going into in, inside 50 as as we all know that's that's been a problem for, for a while and you know I'm not, I'm not sure on the small sample I've seen whether you know they've they've sorted that out and, and then there tends to be you know still and it's it's very predictable it's it's the long kick uh to, to write um so possibly the fact that Jones and Wiedemann have have missed a bit of training maybe that's for something to do with it but yeah so I do have some um, reservations. Well, glad glad you're honest with that. I think one of the things I've been really focused on this year is not
2: getting too hyped up from preseason reports. That people like yourself and, and Charlie Dons do great work showing us all the highlights from training, and you can get a bit of a night, you know, a false impression where the, where the club's actually at. So I really appreciate your honesty there with regards to the skills. Uh, just overall, then, where do you think Essendon is at currently, and where do you think they're headed? you know, just a rough prediction of how you think this is going to go based on what you've seen?
1: Yeah, I think in, they'll, they'll probably finish uh, sort of uh, eight, 8 to 10, that sort of range, I think. You know, they've got some winnable games to start with, but then they've got a, a really tough stretch. So I wouldn't describe it as an easy draw. So, you know, I think, um, you know, we, we've certainly got the nucleus of something there, but it might take still um, two or three years. So, you know, for, for mine, it's probably around about 8 to 10.
2: Yeah, that, that's, I think that's a fair call. I think there's, you know, barring a whole heap of injury, there wasn't much loss from the list. And if you, you have some natural progression there from the side, you, you would expect a couple more wins and get it sorted to that range. But as as you sort of intimated that if there doesn't seem to be a huge change in in skill level or game plan to this stage, that would indicate a, a sharper rise up the ladder. Uh, but again, thanks, thanks for your time. Are there any final words or thoughts that you have or you want to share
1: with the listeners? Uh, no, uh, that, that's about it. I, I probably, um, would, would like to just thank everyone. Um, people have been, uh, really supportive and, and, and generous and kind, um, when I post stuff on, on Twitter, um, this year. So, um, it's, I really appreciate that. You know, it's sometimes it's not convenient or, or you don't really want to go out to training. So, um, it's a bit of a grind at times. So I really, um, appreciate all those, um, positive thoughts.
0: Yeah, th- thanks very much, mate, for for joining us and and giving us some of your time. But but more so, thank you for the work that you continue to do and, and making that effort, particularly when you don't you don't feel like it. I mean, I I only live, you know the other side of the arrow to the club, and and sometimes I feel um, you know forever away. But there's people I know that are interstate and and in the country and and overseas that that don't get the opportunity to see what's happening at training and and the clubs themselves, not just Essendon, but clubs across. The, the comp don't do a great job of of sharing insights, so we're really lucky uh, as Eston fans to have the work that you do and, and and some of the others that Ian also mentioned. So yeah, thanks for joining us and and thanks for the work that you you continue to do to to keep us closer to the club.
1: Thanks very much, uh, guys. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we, as I said, we really really appreciate
2: it, and yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing what else you produce over the remainder of preseason and leading up to the the first game in March. Uh, That's going to wrap us up for tonight. Just before we go, uh, next Monday, my interview with Greg Martin, the father of Nick and a former 45-year Collingwood supporter, is going to be coming out uh, on the general feed, Uh, has been out on Patreon uh, for the past week and a bit, and will be available on Patreon uh, ongoing as well. So if you want to get access to that early, you you can sign up. That link will be in the description to this episode. I really enjoyed the chat and the feedback I've got so far. It's been really good from that one. Uh, and I just want to thank our new patrons since our last episode, uh, Mel, David Cordwell, Elvira P. Antone, Mike Reed, Justin Brown, and Gail Taylor. Thanks for your support. And, yeah, hopefully uh, more people will join our community. But, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for me. Jono, any last words?
0: No, no. Uh, great stuff, mate. Really enjoyed the Greg interview, so give it a listen if you haven't had a chance yet. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Go Dons.
2: Awesome. Go Dons.